Welcome to the Eastern Current Saltwater Fishing Podcast. Today I'm joined with Ty from Florida Fishing Products. We discuss all things inshore shallow water fishing, as well as some of the great new items that Florida Fishing Products has to offer. Hope y'all enjoy the episode. If I'm fishing a jig, you can bet it's going to be an iStrike Texas Eye. Dave and Ralph at iStrike have built the most versatile and durable lineup of jigs in the saltwater industry. Whether you need a finesse presentation on spooky wintertime redfish, or you need to hop a big swim bait on deep water structure for cobia and bull redfish, iStrike has the jig for you. Be sure to check out their website and use code EC10 for up to 40% off all iStrike products and 10% off all Z-Man products. The code can only be used at iStrikeFishing.com and you can find the code and the link to their website in the podcast show notes. There is no stealthier platform to fish the shallow water flats, creeks, and marshes than a pedal drive kayak. The P127 from Bonafide is my choice when I want to get out on a solo trip and access the areas that I can't get to on a flat skiff or a bay boat. It happens far too often in a boat where I have redfish and plenty of water in the back of a creek or bay, but there's a sandbar or series of sandbars between me and the fish and I just can't quite make it to casting distance. But with a kayak, I can drag across the sandbar right to them. Be sure to check out the full lineup of Bonafide Kayaks on the website or at Hook, Line, and Paddle here in Wilmington. I will have a link to the Bonafide website in the show notes as well. What's going on, man? Thanks for jumping on the podcast. We've done a couple together now, and it's always a joy to have you back and talk about about your life and and your company, Florida Fishing Products, and, and y'all's vision and your products and everything. So excited to uh, to catch up, and and I really feel like you're part of the podcast family at this point, and uh, excited to chat today. Yeah, man, I really I really appreciate you having me on. You know, I uh, I really enjoy jumping on podcasts. I don't know if I'm the the best at it, but it's definitely uh, always a, a challenge and, and something fun to do. And, you know, I do always look forward to talking with you and hopping on the Eastern Current podcast. So I'm excited to be here. You know, I've had a, a fun summer, so I'm definitely excited to dive into some of that. Uh, but yeah, man, thanks. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, for sure, man. I want to start and just talk about, uh, you know, we're all here because of fishing. So I want to talk about y'all's, y'all's fishing this summer. And, you know, I, I just something that's kind of been the buzz everywhere has been like the insanely warm water temps in Florida. And I don't know if that's everywhere or isolated. Have you seen that? What has your fishing been like this summer? And has it, has it been real hot? Is there any scare of like algae blooms or anything like that? So to answer the last question, yes, there's a scare of algae blooms for sure. Um, it's been kind of up and down, but, um, as of late, it's been, it's been a lot better. We can talk more about the algae blooms, maybe a little later down the road, um, but I would say in, in terms of the heat, you know, it's obviously been, been hot down here and, you know, you see everyone posting pictures of, you know, record temps or just very high temps on their, uh, on their fish finders or depth finders. And right. I guess fortunately for me, my, uh, my, uh, unit hasn't been working, so I haven't been tracking it as much. Um, but it's been <laughs> definitely hot and I will say I had a really interesting experience um, before I cast, we went out and we did a shoot and we were basically looking to get some last minute content for the new Bahia that we just launched. And man, it was like a small window of opportunity. I had like four hours to fish. My wife's pregnant and, and, uh, she should be delivering here in the next few weeks. So she doesn't like it being out there for too long. And 
I had a lot to do before I cast. So I, like the, the, the window is very narrow. And right. Fortunately we got there and, um, man, we found a ton of fish. There were just snook everywhere. It's like, you know, we could do no wrong. I mean, my second cast, I got a 35 inch snook. Oh uh, we got, we got some, you know, we got some B roll and stuff. And then we went further down and, you know, stuck another 30 inch fish and then went a little further, got another 30 and, you know, we called it a day early. I mean, we were back like well before noon, like, you know, nine thirty or 10. And so that, that was an awesome day on the water. It was definitely hot, but so was the bite, which was, which made it fine. I went back <clears throat> same area, um, about three weeks later. So after I cast a couple weeks after, after that, so it had only been about maybe two to two to three weeks. And that was when like people were like, really were talking about the water tents, you know, like it's getting really, really hot. And, you know, I, I took note of it. I'm like, man, it's hot every year. Yeah. This year might be a little extra hot, but I don't think that's going to affect, you know, I don't think it's going to affect me at all or, or my fish. Like these fish were everywhere, man. They're everywhere. And so I ended up hitting these spots and sure enough, man, everything pushed out. Like there was nothing. I mean, I was seeing schools of snooks, schools of, uh, of, Mahara schools of snapper and mullet and numbers I haven't, I don't think I've ever seen before. Just plentiful, plentiful numbers of fish. And then all of a sudden, three weeks later, after that heat, it just like, it just, everything was gone, shut down. And, you know, there, there's, there's multiple factors, I would say, you know, obviously the heat plays into it a bit. Um, I think for us going back to the algae thing, you know, we've had some blue green algae um, locally, like in, in my canal, I've had it in my backyard. Um, behind my dad's house, he's had it as well in the Clusahatchee River, and then we've we've seen it up and down the Clusahatchee River, which is where we've been fishing, uh, and definitely on Lake Okeechobee, there's there's been a lot of blue green algae on the surface of the lake, um, but thankfully because uh, of new management plans, one called Losum in particular, which basically is a lake uh, Lake Okeechobee uh, management plan, uh, because of that, they haven't been dumping a lot of water from Lake Okeechobee, so. Um, our watershed has been pretty good. You know, after the hurricane last year, I think there's a lot of pollutants, you know, still coming off the land every time that, you know, the rain falls. And so we're seeing some after effects of the hurricane. That's why we still have some blue green algae this year. Um, but because they're not dumping Lake Okeechobee water, we're not seeing that issue like, you know, hitting us really, really hard. Like it's really just localized to the river right now. Yeah. When they start like O water, I mean, you'll see, You'll see red tide and blue green algae, you know, from Astero Bay, which is to the south, all the way up to Boca Grande Pass, even further north. I've seen it all the way. Um, it really creeps its way all the way up the Gulf, up, up towards Tampa. You know, I've seen it go for like red tide at least go from, you know, Astero Bay all the way up to north of Tampa. And, and not all of it's related to Lake Okeechobee, I don't think, but I think yeah. a good, you know, a good amount of it is. So, wow. Uh, anyways, you know, locally there there are there have been some issues with the blue green algae, but as a whole, Pine Island Sound has looked like way better than I could have expected post Hurricane Ian. I mean, nice. we got we got pummeled back there in September of last year. Right, and, uh, it, it didn't look good, but I will say I know a lot of guys that are catching a lot of fish. You know, crushing red fish, lots of big snook right now. I got a lot of guys that are, you know, on the late tarpon season and they're, they're still whooping tarpon. I mean, one of my buddies texted me this week and he said he, he put eight, eight in the boat. Um, I think it was either earlier this week or last week. So the fishing is definitely awesome. good despite the warmer, warmer water temps, you know, um, sure. I don't know how you're, how hot it gets, but 
a key to the day here is definitely a, like a no-go. I'm sure if you're fishing deeper water, like passes for snook and redfish, those fish will eat. But anything shallow, like less than three feet, anytime between like 10 a.m. and 3 p.m., it's like a no-go. I don't even bother. I only fish, you know, shallow stuff early in the morning or late, late in the afternoon this time of year. Yeah, that's that's very similar to kind of the pattern that we'll play into. The one thing, the one kicker for that is uh, we have pretty big tides. We have, you know, five-foot tides on a regular basis. And, gotcha. And so that the fish will get pretty active on that incoming tide. So when that, 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 that cool, little bit cooler ocean water is kind of pushing in to an area mm-hmm. and moving some of that deeper water – you know, from the even just the deeper creeks and passes, like you're talking about, um, through yeah. through the system, it does kind of refire the fish. Like I had that happen yesterday, or the opposite of that happened yesterday. We just I just had a bait fishing trip, uh, fishing the falling tide, and it's been three different times now in, in a similar zone, catching quite a few fish, actually mm-hmm. lots of fish, putting up really good numbers on an incoming tide, fishing the same stuff. You know, a couple of days later, yeah, falling tide and struggling. And, and it's not, and there are areas that these fish can't really go anywhere. Um, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're definitely there. They're just not feeding. They don't want to feed. They don't want to travel the banks or shorelines or flats or whatnot. Um, on yeah. the falling tide, cause the water just kind of warm. They're not, they're, the, even the birds, man, the, even the birds of the heat of the day or on the falling tide are just not feeding. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, on the, uh, uh, between the tides with the water temp is it like a degree or two or yeah, it's not much. Especially when you get near the inlets, you can see that that degree or two change for sure when it starts to come in. And so much of it here, like our, our inshore water is a little bit dirtier and darker, and you get that you can see that clean water move in and hit the bank, and that's when those right. fish start feeding. And I know it's not water clarity because the dirty water is not that dirty. I catch fish in that kind of water color all the time, but it's just right, a matter right. of that, that push of fresh, not, not actually fresh water, but new water into – you know, an area gets them going pretty good. So, um, yep. I think three, def- three times was the charm where I was like, Hey, it really is that, that little change of water temp that's getting them going. Yeah. I guess if, if you know, I were in your shoes, I'd wonder, you know, on the outgoing tide, if you work closer to the passes where that water might be a little deeper and still a little, little cooler, you know, I wonder if there'd be more success out there, you know, that's definitely where I've been kind of fading to now, um, trying to find some definitely fish a little deeper on the falling tide but it's fun i mean it's funny i mean you'll say something like that and then like tomorrow i'll probably go out there and and everything's gonna be shallow on the falling tide i won't catch a single fish on the incoming but i feel like i'm really good at jinxing myself when it comes to stuff like that but me too we all look good until we don't (laughs) (laughs) until we say we look good and then we look like an idiot (laughs) exactly Uh, i feel like time when i'm talking to buddies you know i tell them stories or i tell them like like this i was like oh yeah i was crushing them three weeks ago there's no chance these fish have moved out. They stay here through, you know, through August, even September at times. Sure enough, you know, middle, middle of July and, or I guess more towards the end of July, those fish were all gone. And they're like, yeah, right. Fish were here. Uh-huh. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Or yep, man, last week or a few weeks ago, they were there. Right. But um, for me, it's always like, I think I've got like some little secret going on. I'm like, oh, this is, this is like, no one else knows this is going on. Like I'm thinking that in my head patting yep. my back like a loser and then it's a saturday and i'm like what the heck how do all these people know about this you know what i mean so it's like i'm not as not as slick as i think i am and i should have learned that i'm not a long time ago but um but, sure. uh so icast i was supposed to come down there and join y'all at icast had some stuff come up and, and kind of had to slip out of that last minute but 
definitely going to be down there next year. Um, but take me through ICAST for all this year, because before the show we were talking about how y'all haven't been in a few years. I want to hear kind of just just how how it all kind of played out for y'all. Sure. I mean, I'll kind of tell you like why we hadn't been there in a few years first, and I'll kind of get into um, you know building out the booth and then the actual show itself. But Sweet. basically, uh, the last time we exhibited was. Uh, it would have been July of 2019, and we had launched the Osprey Carbon Edition. I believe we just launched our Osprey Saltwater Series as well. So we had two new products, a little tiny 10 by 10 booth, but man, we blew it out of the water with that 10 by 10 booth. We were the, we were the busiest little booth you'd ever seen. That's awesome. If you were even asking us, you know, like, what are you doing? Like, how do you, you know, how do you get so many people through your booth? And you know, for us, it was just relationships. Like we're, we were in Orlando and we're based in Tampa, which is about an hour, hour and a half drive. And so we, we just have a lot of people, um, you know, near the Orlando area that, you know, know us and know our products. So we just happened to have a lot of traffic. So we looked really good from the outside looking in, but it was really just, you know, we just had those relationships already built. But uh, in 2020, obviously with COVID, they, uh, they shut down ICAST. So we decided not, you know, well, there's no chance for us to exhibit. And then 2021, they're still fiddling around with all the, the different rules and regulations due to COVID. And, you know, we kind of had this feeling like, you know, this might be a weird show. And so we decided we opted out of uh, exhibiting and we, we put in a big event on like this, uh, this dinner party, basically, for a bunch of our guides and retail shops. And you know, we had a fun time with that. I was a little less involved in the show itself. And, um, and of course, the show ended up being, you know, a pretty a pretty small show because of it being like heat of COVID still. So I think that was a good decision. And then last year we were kind of, you know, in the, in between, do we want to exhibit or do we put on another event off, you know, off site like we did in 2021. And it really came down to new products, which we, we just hadn't launched anything new um, since 2019. So like we just didn't have uh, new products to showcase that I cast. So, it kind of seemed like, you know, we we're just going to do more, more of the same, just being there to shake hands anyways. So we decided to opt out of ICAST in 2022. And then we, uh, we ended up having another um, evening event. I think it was like Wednesday evening. And that ended up going really, really well. It ended up being a great event. And so this year, uh, we're, we're, you know, we're excited. Like we're, we need to be back at ICAST. We missed it the last few years. Uh, it's time to go. And, you know, we've been working on a lot of products. It's early 2022. We got back to product development, and um, you know we do. We had our new solo that we talked about last time that we right. launched, um, and then we had plans to launch our, our new Bahia, which no one had even heard of before. Um, totally is totally under wraps, and so the the plan was to use iCast as a basically you know a catalyst to really blast off and launch that new product, and so we uh, we basically uh, ended up it was kind of a funny, funny story how we ended up getting our booth. So I'd, I'd booked this, you know, sometime in 2022. We knew we wanted to be at ICAST 2023. And uh, my, my real tech dad had just retired um, earlier this year and he's looking for something to do. And he, he pitched me this idea of kind of building out like this nice storefront for our, our warehouse. And I was like, that's cool. But why don't, why don't we build something out for ICAST so we can kind of use this as a storefront too. And so he built out this like beautiful handmade, booth and it ended up just turning out really really cool and so over the last you know uh whatever two or three months prior to icast we were just you know working away putting the finishing touches on the booth and making it look real good and 
you know, we ended up having a really awesome spot. You, you definitely missed out, man. We missed having oh, you man. there. But we were wedged between Yeti and Daiwa. So we had a lot of eyeballs on our booth, and we were just in a really good, good location. And, man, I, I tell you what, every person that came through complimented us on our booth. I'll have to send you some photos That's later awesome. if you have. But, uh, yeah, the booth ended up being really cool. And then we were able to launch the Bahia and the Solos at the new product showcase. And um, I definitely think the Bahia took the show by far. You know, it's a little higher, a higher price point reel, um, similar to our Osprey Carbon Edition. And, uh, yeah, people people really, really liked the Bahia. And we, we took a lot of orders at the show. We opened a lot of new retail shops and just met a lot of guys that, you know, are, are newer in the industry. But what's cool about ICAST is each year you kind of get the new generation of anglers coming through. And so it's just a great opportunity to meet guys from different you know walks of life and different um, sides of the fishing industry all under one roof. And so you know, I met these guys up from, I think they're New Jersey, um, New York area, the guys from Uncle Larry Outdoors. And yeah, there's yeah. a of young, young, young fishermen and they're hustlers. And, you know, we were able to link up with them. And uh, I thought that was really cool. And then, you know, we linked up with uh, this guy, Major, who does a lot of, like, comedic fishing. You know, he's a big influencer on, on Instagram now. And it's so it was so cool just talking to these different guys. And, and I had some guys that, you know, they were YouTube guys, um, kind of doing what you were doing with Eastern Current uh, on, on YouTube. And then they switched back to Facebook, which I don't know anyone who's used Facebook in years. And they went from, you know, having zero followers to 100,000, you know, followers on, on Facebook overnight. And so now they're, they're pumping content on Facebook. So it's just cool to like, you know, get all these different guys from different, um, different parts of the industry doing different things and, and finding success. Um, it's, it's really unique and it's changed so much over the last few years, you know, it used to just be retail shop owners, which was a benefit as a business owner, you know, it's, it's just business you focused on right, and then right. and guides and retail shop owners. And so there's a lot of talk of sponsorships and, you know, shaking hands and making relationships with guides. And then, you know, in the last five to 10 years, you've had so many more of these, you know, social media influencers, the YouTube guys, and the Instagram guys, and Facebook, and now you have TikTok. And so it seems like every person you see is famous one way or another on their individual <laughs> platform, you know, but, sure. uh, but yeah, it's a, it's, it's a cool, it's a really cool event, man. And it, it went really well for us. Like I said, we opened up a lot of new retail shops, made, made a lot of uh, really good connections there. I think uh, one of the highlights for me is that Johnny Morris was the founder of Bass Pro Shops was outside of our booth. And it was, it was Johnny was wearing like uh, jeans and um, just like a, a short sleeve button down shirt. It looked like a plaid one, just, you know, basic, like uh, just normal clothes. And around him were three guys that were all suited up with like notepads or iPads in hand. And they're all like scratching down notes. And Johnny was just like, I don't, I, I couldn't hear him, but he was just talking um, telling these guys things and his three, I don't know if they're assistants. I don't know if they're financial guys. I don't know who they were, but it was Johnny Morris billionaire bass pro guy surrounded by his, uh, you know, his, his three, three, maybe executives. I'm not sure. His they're little entourage. Just, <laughs> yeah. I was just listening to everything he had to say. Uh, it was just, it was just cool to see him checking out the booth. Sure. And, you know, didn't have an opportunity to talk with him. We were talking with the retailers at the time. So he moved on, but, um, I just thought that was, that was pretty cool. You know, I don't, I don't know if you know too much about Johnny Morris, but I mean, he's, I think in the seventies or eighties now, and he's, he's just working away like he was when he was 20 or 30. And wow. I just think that's cool to see that, that type of work ethic. Yeah, that is cool. That is really cool. 
Um, I will say, man, I think that it doesn't surprise me that y'all's booth turned out so incredible just because I feel like you see it in y'all's products, like uh, a smaller real company, but I would say functionality-wise, but especially functionality-wise, but even just the look and the style of each one of the reels that y'all come out with is like, I feel like just ahead of its time, it's sleek, it's simple, but like beautiful. And, and I feel like that's just something that, that y'all are becoming well known for. It's just like a really functional, beautiful fishing reel because, and I like the simplicity of color, you know, all these colorful reels and, um, not super colorful. I mean, there's, there's some companies that have some very colorful reels, but I just, I think, yeah. uh, you know, there's all these different color rods and a real, you know, just looks in the colors that y'all come out with just fits every single rod and looks really good on it. And the, the design is like a good mixture of modern with like, especially like the new Bahia that y'all just came out with, just like the font that y'all picked for the, for the, um, the writing on it mixed with just the lines. Like it's like this good blend of, maybe I'm getting way too into it, but, um, a good nah. blend of the mixture of just like modern and kind of classic looking. And then the color works real well with it too. So, I appreciate For that. Sure. I like a real, I like a black simple reel. And so, um, I think y'all crush that for sure. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate it. No, the, I, generally I'm the one focused primarily on product development and branding. So for me, you know, I, I do appreciate those little details and, um, I, I'm, I'm glad that you, you've taken notice. Not, not everyone does a lot of, uh, a lot of things that we see, our subconscious, we don't even recognize when something is, you know, or why something is beautiful or why right. something looks weak. Um, we just know that it does, you know, when you see like a, a Tesla, right. Uh, especially like the roadster, any of them really look at them and they, they're definitely unique, but they've done a really good job of making them look really sleek too. And I think the car companies in particular, they do a really good job of making the cars look sexy. And you just yeah. know, you see it. And, you don't know what it is. Like you can't, right. say, oh, you can't put paper. words to it. <laughs> like, I don't know. It, just, it looks fast. It looks good. Like it just, it just gives you that feeling of like, this must be expensive and fast. And it, like, this is, this means performance. Like this thing is going to perform. Right. And so, you know, it's funny when I drive down the road, um, I look at cars all the time yeah. and I'm not a car guy, more of a boat guy. than I'm a car guy. Don't, don't ask me about, uh, the engine on my truck. Um, I could probably do that, but don't ask me the engine on your truck. I don't know anything about it <laughs> other than my own. Right. But man, I look at them and I look at designs. I look at what they're doing. I look at the you know simplicity of logos. I look at uh, the color schemes on different vehicles. I look at just the shapes of different vehicles. You know, Tesla is super interesting. Um, they don't even have the word Tesla on the vehicle, other than maybe on their brake calipers or all some of their smaller things like interior. But on the exterior of it. I mean, there's almost nothing on it except for a T, like their Tesla, you know, their patented or, or, or a trademark T. Right. And then, you know, it might say like Model X. And that's it in terms of like having like uh, any type of words or, or marketing on the vehicle itself. Like the, that, the sleekness of the vehicle, the design of the vehicle, they, they use the color schemes and, and just they use uh, uh, the shape of the vehicle to make it that sexy, sleek look. And so, you know, for me, I think the same thing when I'm thinking about our reels, you know, like you said, there's, there's a lot of companies that are doing a lot of different flashy things and that's just not us. You know, I don't, I don't know if you're ever going to see us come out with some really, really flashy, uh, looking, looking, uh, product, unless it was maybe like a one-off or something really, really special. Um, but generally, you know, we just, we go with really simplistic designs. We let the, 
Um, the products speak for itself. We try to make it to where all of our products um, have uh, very similar components. Um, and some are obviously higher quality than others, but you know, the more we have uh, overlap of parts, the, the easier it is for us to be able to service our customers' reels. And, and that's one of the number one things we think about is real longevity. Um, and one way you can ensure longevity is by, you know, servicing your, your products on a regular basis. It's just like owning a vehicle. You got you to gotta get oil in your truck regularly or else you're going to blow the engine. Um, you got to put new coolant in. Like there are some basic maintenance things that you need to do to a vehicle to help it last longer. I'd say the exact same thing with the reel. I mean, if, if you were diligent enough to, to wash it off and, and service it every six months, most reels could probably last you decades, unless you're just using it an absurd amount, like a fishing guy like you might use. But a general, like normal angler, they probably could make the reels last decades if they just did general maintenance and a little bit of service. So, for sure. So that's one thing that we, we really strive for with all of our products is we want to we want to be able to service them. We want to be able to service them well. We want to be able to do it quickly, efficiently. And when the when, the, when a customer gets the reel back in their hands, we want to feel like that thing's new. And so um, by having, you know, an overlap of different product or different parts in each product, it, it, it makes it easier for us to keep parts in stock, makes it easier for us to, to hold up that high standard of, of excellence when it comes to customer service. And so we've been able to do that really well. Um, I guess that kind of leads me naturally into like the breakdown of each reel. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, so basically we have, uh, today we have our, our Solos, um, our Osprey CE, which has been our flagship reel. That's, that's being phased out by the end of this year. The Bahia is kind of taking over um, that, that price point and that particular model of reel. And then we got something new for next year that, you know, we can't, we can't discuss at this time, but, um, on a future podcast, we can definitely talk about that. Nice. So we'll, we'll be on new products. Um, and then we have our Resolute. So, uh, we have our Solos, the Osprey CE, the Bahia and the Resolute. And all four of them are, are inshore saltwater fishing reels. All, all four of them fall into a pretty similar um, price category, which I think kind of confuses people at times and, and something we're working on, uh, on dialing a little bit better. But um, the, the initial idea when we first, you know, launched two different real models that were very similar sizes, but and, and in a similar price point was there's two different types of people. You know, you have your artificial anglers, um, your guys that really like lightweight, um, smooth feeling reels. And then you have like more of your live bait anglers or the guys that just like having like a more rugged product, something that feels a little like it's like metal. It might feel a little heavier, but to them, it feels like robust. It feels like it's going to last a long time because you got someone that picks up a Shimano Stratic, for instance, which is a, a great reel. And, and, and they'll be like, oh, this is cheap because it's so light because of, you know, the components of it. Like, oh, this thing's cheap. But then they pick up a pen slammer, which is a very heavy reel. And they're like, yeah, this thing's solid. Like, this is a great reel right here. Right. It seems to me like there's two two kind of camps. There's the really lightweight guys that love lightweight reels, which is what our Solos and our Bahia and our Osprey Carbonition cover. And then there's the guys that like those more rugged, robust reels. Um, and that's what our Resolute covers. So, you know, I, I think of the Resolute as our live bait reel, our big game fish reel. It's available in bigger sizes, all the way up to 8,000. So we have a 3,000, 4,000, 5,000, 6,000, 8,000 on the Resolute. And, um, you know, some guys do use them for artificials, and I've used them for artificials. They work fine, but 
because they are a little bit uh, heavier duty, um, you know, it's just not quite as efficient as throwing a really lightweight reel. But, man, I know guys that they throw a, you know, a three or 4,000 size resolute for sight fishing for redfish or trout in your area, and that's just what they're used to. They're right. used to that size reel, that weight of a reel, and that's what they like. like. I like the full metal body. I want it to feel good in my hands. I want no flex. I don't, I don't care if it's super lightweight. I just want it to feel solid. And, and that's how, you know, a lot of guys feel about the Resolute. For sure. Um, for me, personally, I like the super sleek, lightweight reels. I like our Osprey Carbon Edition. I like our, our Bahia, I like our Solos. Because they're lightweight, they're smooth, they're more geared towards artificial fishing. You know, if you're casting over and over and over and over again throughout the day, you need something that's going to be lightweight or else you're going to get fatigued. Uh, you're going to get tired. You're going to put the rod down. And that's less opportunity to catch fish when you're when you're resting or you're not casting over and over again. And so, you know, to me, that those reels really fit my my style of fishing. I think you're obviously your style of fishing too, for the for most sure. part. For sure. Um, yeah. That, what I love to do is that light tackle, light sleek yep. reel. You know, flying flying light tackle fishing. What I do <laughs> a good bit this time of year, guiding wise, is not necessarily what I would go do on my on my own day off, but um, yeah, but that's why right. I've got both reels and I love both. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm the same way. I'm, I'm taking out some friends. We're throwing live bait. I bring, I usually bring a bunch of resolutes. You know, I got, I got a whole bunch of those resolutes. If I'm going to go do something by myself or I have a friend that's a good angler or we want to go sight cast redfish, you're probably only going to find bahias and solaces on my boat at this yeah. point. So it just depends on the situation that, that every product is meant for a different situation. And I would say between between our Solos and our Bahia now, you know, they are very comparable. You know, there are a lot of similarities in terms of the internals. Um, but the, the, the Solos is a little bit of a heavier reel. It's, I think, a half ounce or so heavier than the, the Bahia, maybe even an ounce heavier than the Bahia. Um, and, and the Bahia has a new T3 drag system, so it's an upgraded drag system, uh, a little bit lighter weight body, lighter weight drag system, smoother drag system than the CE and then the Solos. But, you know, when you're comparing them apples to apples, they're, they're pretty similar in terms of performance. The, the main difference is, is the Bahia is better sealed up. It does have a little better performance. Um, but then on the Solos, you're looking at a lower price point. So right. the idea was there's anglers that just don't want to spend 200 or $300 on a fishing reel, but they still want to fish inshore, salt water, and have something that's going to last. And so we really built the Solos for that everyday angler that's looking more in that $139, $149 price point. That's all it's just for them. You're going to get a ton of performance and, and, a, and a you know a pretty inexpensive reel. But if you're looking for more performance, a little better sealed, you know, longer lasting salt water, you know, that's where you can bump up to the Bahia, which is an awesome, awesome option for that. Um, and at this point, it's yet to be launched. Uh, we have pre-orders taken. Our retail shops are all getting ready to to get product here in the next few weeks. But the actual official launch of the Bahia is September 1st. So for those that are watching, if you're interested in checking out the new Bahia, our newest inshore spinning reel, um, it falls in that $199 price point, and it will be available in retail shops um, on September 1st. I've teamed up with Florida Fishing Products to outfit my guide service with their spinning reels, braided line, and fluorocarbon leader, and I'm looking forward to giving you some real-world feedback on their gear. I've been enjoying their Osprey CE for all my light tackle, redfish, and speckled trout, and Resolute for my beefier setups for Big Reds, Cobia, Tarpon, and Jacks. I'm looking forward to helping further their mission to equip anglers to fish better, which couldn't align closer with our values here at Eastern Current. 
Be sure to check out their website, floridafishingproducts.com, or ask about them at your local tackle shop. Temple Fork Outfitters is the rod of choice for all of us here at Eastern Current. Whether we're fly fishing for shallow water redfish, sight casting to cobia from a tower, or dropping live pinfish to grouper in 100 feet of water, they have the rod for the job. Their customer service is unmatched by any rod company out there, and their rods can take the beating of everyday guide use without any issues. My favorite rod for redfish and speckled trout is their seven foot medium light tactical inshore spin rod. Be sure to check out their website, tforods.com. For someone who wants to have, you know, maybe one setup, you know, they're getting into the saltwater game, they, they can't afford to have or they don't know yet what they want to be doing. If you could get one reel of one size that would kind of do it all, a little bait mm-hmm. fishing, a little bit of, you know, light tackle fishing and and whatnot, what what reel would you suggest? And let's say for, yeah. for my area, like North Carolina slot redfish, like slightly slot over slot redfish and maybe some stripers or something like that. Yeah, I think this reel could do it for pretty much any area. For, for an inshore saltwater angler just looking to get into it, they want to do a little bit of everything. Um, I would almost always say the go-to is a 4,000 size reel, but in particular that Bahia 4,000, I think that's, you know, if you're just going to buy one reel, the Bahia 4,000 is a perfect reel. I mean, you can use it for so many different things. It's 9.3 ounces, so you can use it for sight fishing, for redfish, <clears throat> sea trout, shallow water. You, know, you can use it for bigger stripers. I just sent some up to my, my buddy Jack Bracken up in, um, <clears throat> using Cape Cod fishing for big stripers, nice. and he was whooping them thousand it does come with a uh, a smaller power handle so um it is it, not like the big round knob right, right. um for live bait fishing it's kind of in between um it's a really good option i would say for both artificial and live bait um because it's in that in between um but yeah definitely that that'd be here four thousand it maxes out with 24 pounds of drag so you can fish it for big fish i got a lot of guys up in the chesapeake area fishing big bull redfish <clears throat> and big stripers as well on those 4,000s. And then, yeah, like I said, I mean, you can do kind of everything with it. You can you can go big or you can go small. It really covers <clears throat> almost all bases. So yeah. if you're going to go yeah. the, a single reel to cover a, a, just a variety of different species and a variety of different types of fishing, I would definitely recommend a, the Bahia 4,000. That would, that would be my go-to. And, and when I was a kid, that's what I did. I would fish a 4,000-size reel for almost everything. I used yeah. it for, for big, even big tarpon at times, um, but generally for like big snook and redfish and sea trout and jacks and, and cobia and triple tail, all, all sorts of species like that. I just used it 4,000 for everything, artificial, live bait, and it pretty much did everything I needed it to do. You know, and as you get more into it, you get more technical, obviously, it helps to uh, dial it in and have specific gear for specific situations. I mean, it does make a difference, but at the end of the day, you can get by with a 4,000 and do most, most things at a pretty, pretty high level. I, f- I think of it as like the neighborhood kid on the bike rod. You know, you have that, you're holding it in your handlebars and you're riding out of the pond or down to the, down to the, you know, the Creek or the bulkhead or wherever you might be doing your afternoon fishing after school. And you got that one rod in a backpack with some tackle in it. And, um, yep. it it's kind of that, that one multi-purpose, uh, fishing rod and reel set up for, for whatever you're going to run into. But, man, that's sweet. All right, so to wrap it up, let's hear the full story because you kind of you, you hinted to me what had gone on the other night um, over text message, but let's hear the story of, of how this all unfolded. Yeah, so we talked about content earlier. 
and that's something that we've been trying to you know create on a regular basis is just more behind the scenes content with with our team and with myself and I'm just using our products in a, in a variety of different situations. So uh, just to set the scene, my, my wife's eight months pregnant. Baby's due here in a, in a few weeks. Um, and we got really good low evening low tides this time of year. It's super hot. So really the best times to fish are going to be either early in the morning or late in the afternoon. And, you know, I'm trying to get a lot of work done before, uh, before the baby's here. So I'm trying to work during the day. If I have a chance to fish, it's going to be in the evening. So I, I booked this evening trip with uh, my videographer, and the goal was to chase tailing, tailing redfish. And, man, it was just one of those days where we uh, I run to the first spot. It doesn't look right. So I run to the second spot and find a ton of fish. Um, but uh, in the back of my head, I just wanted to go back to that first spot once the, once the tide got right. And we were even though we were finding fish all over the place, um, we just weren't getting good eats. I was pulling and casting from the back of the boat, so it was making it tough. And, you know, I got one eat, and I break off, and, you know, sun's setting on us, so we're losing time. I'm like, man, this is not a good situation. Like, we got we to gotta move. We got to get something. We got to get the boat like, ASAP. Let's run back to the first spot. They're going to be there. So we run to the first spot, and, man, it is dead. There's nothing there. It looks bad. The water looks bad. And we're like, okay, we got to get out of here. The sun's still going down fast. So we run to the third spot, which at this point is really our fourth spot, I guess, the backup, backup spot. Right. Yeah. Same thing, man. Like it, it, it looked good initially, but we get up there and the tide has kind of bottomed out. It's an outgoing tide, which I, I like the incoming tide more this time of year, too. But this is just the tide we had. So the tide kind of bottomed out. There's not much movement. And, you know, I pulled for about a mile and a half. And finally, I start seeing a few fish. I might have an opportunity to salvage the day, get one or two in the boat, and just couldn't make anything happen. The, the grass is super thick. I just couldn't get good baits in front of them. And yeah, it just didn't, didn't make it happen. So we got skunked. And then we end up back at the boat ramp. It's 845. It's dark. And um, on the way in, I noticed this sound. I was telling Sam, like, man, I hear something weird. I'm like, like I don't know if it's my trailer, or my boat. But when we stopped to pay the boat ramp fee, I checked out the boat. There's nothing dragging. Everything's good. Everything's hooked up the way it should be. You know, no, no worries. And so on the way back, I'm like driving again with the windows down. My AC's broken. And I'm like, man it sounds terrible back there. Like it sounds like there's, there's something definitely wrong. And I've actually never had a hub or bearing issues on a trailer before. So I didn't quite know what it was. So I got out and inspect everything. Like everything looks okay. And so we go again, like it sounds so bad. Like there's something is terribly wrong. I go back, I start inspecting everything again. I'm like, maybe it's this tire. So I had Sam kind of drive the vehicle a little bit. And, and I noticed I'm like, yep, the bearings on this, on this right tire are just totally shot. And so I start thinking, like, what am I going to do? We're 45 minutes from home. I can't drag this thing home. That's a bad idea. So I got to leave this out here somewhere. And so uh, I had a I had a buddy who's got an office out on the island. Uh, this is Pine Island. Uh-huh. And I was like, but I'll call him up, see if I can drop it at the office. And so I called him. I started driving down the road towards his office. He doesn't answer. I got, like, a pile of cars behind me because I'm going, like, 10 miles an hour. So I pull <laughs> off the hall, I'll let all these guys by, and I hop back out. And this guy pulled behind me to kind of help out. And as I'm like, I'm looking at the guy and I look down at my tire, my tire's smoking, man. Everything's just smoking. I'm like, this is not good. There's just so much metal on metal rubbing. It's just, and it, everything's just not quite up in flames, but it's smoking pretty good. And fortunately I knew the guy that pulled behind me. I didn't, you know, it just was by random chance. He, he uh, happened to hop out, wanted to help out. And his name's Corey McGuire. He's a really good tarpon fishing guide. 
down in Southwest Florida. And, you know, he was like, Hey man, I got tools uh, a mile and a half down the road. If you want to come to my house, we can uh, see if we can figure this thing out. And so I brought it to his house and um, ended up being a little more work than we were hoping to do that night. So I put the boat behind his, uh, his fence and had to come back the next morning. And, you know, the next morning it was a, it was, I thought it was going to be quick work. You know, we got the hub already. Everything's good to go. should be easy. But because we'd driven the, the, you know, the trailer an extra like mile and a half, the bearings had fused to the spindle of the trailer. Oh, that's always fun. We didn't quite know it at first. You know, this is the first time I've dealt with this. And my buddy I brought was really handy, but neither of us had enough experience to fully know what was going on. So we were just like one by one figuring out the problems. You know, we just popped the first off that was fused okay now we get the hub off now we get or we get the tire off we get the hub off uh and then we try to get the new hub on it's not fitting like, what's going on man and, and we realized that the the second bearing was also fused up in there and so we we just we were going back and forth to the store trying to get the right tool for the job and finally realized that dremel would, would work well and we ended up cutting the bearing off uh and, and popping it off got the hub back on everything's good dude it's like three and a half hours of like <laughs> plus degrees super high humidity like not enjoyable work on a, on a Monday drenched in sweat uh, yeah yep oh man that's no fun that, I got that skunk. it got skunk too yeah that Ruined you gotta up. have those days though right definitely it's it's a humbling experience and at least I learned I know more about my trailer now now I've had the issue I wouldn't make the same mistakes again it'd probably be a quicker fix but yeah, definitely. Those days are good to have. They uh, they keep us honest and keep us humble. For sure. And I think a, a good learning point for people for that about the hubs, and I've learned this the hard way, and thankfully no one was hurt. But, you know, once your bearing goes out, if you drive on it, like if you made, made that 45-minute drive, once that bearing breaks down, the tire can slide over the castle yep. nut and come completely off of the spindle. So not only, especially if you've got a single-axle trailer, will you drop your whole trailer onto the concrete, but yep. that tire will come flying off at plus this more than the speed you're driving. And if it hits another vehicle or hits your, your vehicle or your boat. So never try to make those drives, you know, when that, when you do know that bearings out, because I have, yep. I've, I get, I just guess I don't hear it, but I have made a couple of drives where my bear, I get home and I will like, I get out of my car and I'm like, what is that smell? <laughs> and it's like yep. my freaking bearing has just burned the whole way home. And some I've got home, but I was coming around a traffic circle right by my house one time. And I had a bearing go out and my, I'm coming around the traffic circle. I'm literally like 30 seconds from my house and my tire mm-hmm. comes flying past my passenger or my driver's window. And I'm like, well, whose tire was that? And this guy's like honking at me and he was, he's like pointing at my trailer and I'm like, Oh my gosh, that's my tire. But I mean, it came flying past, missed a car and went into these bushes across the road. And so, um, that's just, I, I now I bought a, I bought a, like a legit shop Jack, uh, yep. that, that stays in my garage. And every couple of weeks I just lift my trailer up and spin my tire and listen for yep. it. If it sounds bad, I'll go ahead and replace the hub on it. So, um, yeah, not that, that, I mean, most people, Really, what hap- a lot of times what can happen, too, is if, if you don't trailer, it's either if you trailer a lot or if you don't trailer much at all is when your bearings tend to go bad quickly. Because if you get a little bit of water in there and then it sits for two months and then you get yep. a trailer, you can blow your bearings up or just trailering a bunch with salt water in there and not re-greasing, which is really my problem. I don't ever put new grease in my hubs very often. So um, Yeah, that was my problem. I needed to re-grease it. After the hurricane, it had flooded, uh-huh. and I think some water air and is just sitting a little longer than usual so 
I definitely think I needed to, to re-grease them after the storm. They, yeah, it's uh, it, their <laughs> pubs are funny things for sure. I've learned a lot about them. Thankfully, I have a good, very good handy friend that that used to run a company called Trailer Medic, and so he's taught me. He's actually the other guy that guides with me, Mike, and um, he's taught me so much about it. And he, the other night, we had this little fly tournament up here, and I'm like, let's just spin my tires real quick to make sure everything's good. And one of the one of the hubs was out. And he and he 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 dropped the tire, put the new hub on, back on eight minutes. Got the whole thing, wow. and it was a clean fix. I mean, the, the spindle was good yeah. to go and everything. But I was still like, man, that I know how to do it, and that would have taken me forty five minutes to do it. So I'm like, if sure, this sure. the fishing never works out for him, I think he should try to get on a pit crew for NASCAR. Definitely, man. That's a quick turnaround. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that goes to show two things. One, if you have the right tools, you can get the job done quick. For so sure, I definitely the right tools but number two is good maintenance man it goes back to whether it's your truck your trailer your reel absolutely all do a little bit of maintenance here and there it's going to last so much longer and it's going to keep you from getting frustrated and having issues where you end up sending your re- your your wheel into the uh, the neighbor's car or something like that which right. that makes a bad day a lot worse yeah for <laughs> sure for sure that's typically how it starts going though when your day starts going downhill it's like if you keep trying, it usually keeps going downhill. You just got to reset the next day. <laughs> exactly. Well, man, is there anything we haven't touched on that before we close this one up uh, that that you you want to you want to share or, or, or hit on? And definitely, completely fine. If not, I just want to make sure I didn't miss anything. Uh, I think we're good, man. But I definitely think uh, we're going to have to hop back on the, the podcast in 2024. We are working on some new new products, and we're looking to get in some new product categories. Um, which I guess that does remind me, we, we launched our new Topwalker series, which I, I need to show you. Um, uh, we have our own series of Topwater lures now. Yeah, yeah I, was, I was checking that out the other day, actually. So they're not on the website yet. We'll be launching them here probably in the next uh, two to four weeks, somewhere in that range. Our shops do have them, but we just haven't done a, a full launch with it as we're working on the here right now. But right. the Topwalkers are awesome. They're saltwater rated. Um, which is the big deal. You know, I was tired of just rusting out and bending out hooks all the time. Um, mainly rust, man. I was just, all my hooks were going bad. I was swapping them out and then the ones I'd swap out would go bad. Right. It just was getting like, why can't I just buy a, a top water that has salt water, like true salt water rated hooks on it. And there's just not much of that available. And if, if you do find them, they're very expensive. So we decided to, to find a good manufacturer and, we ended up teaming up with uh, Mustad with their new JL thir- uh, JL seventy three hooks. They're called Jaw Locks. Nice. Um, and the Jaw Locks were saltwater test name. <laughs> yeah, Jaw Lock. So the the JL seventy threes were saltwater tested for four hundred hours, and like they're super legit. So we were really happy that we were able to make that connection with them and and uh, hook up our our our, our new top wire lures with those hooks. But yeah, they got they got some cool, super simple designs. Same same as everything else we do. But um, yeah, I definitely encourage you guys to check them out, and you, you as well. I would definitely would check them out once uh, once we get them out there. I'll have to send some your way to get your hands on them. For yeah, sure. man, I would I would love to. And what a I mean, everyone's favorite lure, right? Top water. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, sweet, man. Well, I, I really do appreciate you hopping on, and, and as always, we'll definitely be talking more and and whatnot but but man thank you for hopping on you guys thanks for checking out the eastern current podcast and uh, we will see y'all next week if you're anything like me you like a clean boat that's why i've chosen to partner with carolina first mate out of south carolina 
Carolina First Made is a family-owned business that provides environmentally friendly boat cleaning alternatives. My two favorite products are their hole cleaner that doesn't harm your trailer and their boat wash. Be sure to use code EC15 for 15% off your online purchase. If you're interested in checking out all their products, you can find a link to their website in the podcast show notes.